Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Here we go, Saturday, November 27th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Flyers fall in defeat against the Carolina Hurricanes. Final score of 6-3 to three at the Wells Fargo Center. Black Friday game returned, but the Flyers could not stop the bleeding of a four-game losing streak and is now a five-game losing streak. And uh, Carolina doubles up the Flyers after the Flyers got off to a good start. We're going to go through some elements of the game. We're going to get to people's Twitter rants and questions. We're also going to hear from uh, head coach Elaine Vigneault, see what his thoughts were on the contest. The way I kind of look at my job is to look at the situation in the season and try to remove emotion from it. As fans, you know, it's emotional. And, you know, as much as I try and remove emotion from doing this podcast, watching the games, you know, talking to people on social media, whatever it is, it's hard. Because when you see certain things take place, it's really frustrating. And frustration is like the accelerant to emotion. And so many elements of this game against Carolina that just made me emotion. It made me emote. (laughs) And I don't know that I've ever used that word on a podcast before. Now, what are those moments? Well, the Flyers get off to a good start. Provorov gets the goal after a great play by Giroux. Good start to the game. They're controlling the pace. They eventually go on the PK. They kill that off about the eight-minute mark of the first period. Ajo gets the goal, ties it at one. I'm still okay. They they got outshot in the first period, but again, you know I don't care about shots. And then Farabee with an absolutely beautiful play, shorthanded to pick up this the fly to pick up the Flyers' second shorthanded goal of the season and his sixth of the season and goals in back-to-back games gives the Flyers the the 2-1 lead after one period of play. They didn't outplay Carolina in the first period, but they came away with a 2-1 lead after that first period. Here's where the problem begins. 23 seconds in to the second period, they give up a goal. And I believe the goal was tipped off of a flyer stick at release from Ajo, but he puts it in by heart. You give up a goal early in the period. There's a couple of no-nos in hockey. Giving up a goal in the first minute or last minute of a period are no-nos. Well, the Flyers, though, they get it back. They regain the lead at a minute 16 into the period. So, like, 47 seconds later, they regain the lead when Rasmus Ristolainen scores his first goal of the season on an absolute bomb. He just blows it by Antiranta and gives the Flyers a 3-2 lead. But then, at a minute 45, 29 seconds later, the game's tied again when Jesper Foss scores, and they give up a goal right after regaining a lead. We talked about this last year. 16 times last year, the Flyers scored a goal to either tie a game, go ahead in a game, or get within one, and they gave up a goal in the next minute. Goals in hockey are the ultimate momentum swings. That's how you grab momentum, and then you you hang on for dear life as long as you can keep it. The Flyers score there. They regain the lead, and then they give it up right away. And it happens... In the Flyers' D zone, as Nate Thompson makes a, a blind backhand pass to the middle, which is another no-no, it's just a pizza right up the middle. Hart makes two great saves, but Faust is able to pound the third one home, and it ties the game Then eventually at 548. Kokaniemi scores on the back door, and then Steven Lorenz, as the Flyers 
kind of like a moth to a flame, all went to one side of the ice. The coverage broke down, and Joel Farabee just completely lost his side of the ice. And Lorenz has all the time in the world to walk right in on Hart and beat him upstairs. And they go up 5-3, to three, and that's how you didn't head into the third period with the Flyers down two. And then at 4.50 into the third period, it's Shveshnikov who picks up the goal, 6-3, and that's your final. And those elements make they make you angry when you watch it because they've been repeated. And the repetition of those. Aline Vigneault loves to put his fourth line out after the Flyers score. It's not what I would do if I was the head coach, and I'm, I've never been an NHL head coach. I never will be. But to me, I would put out the line that is rested that's been the best on the bench. So whoever that is, if it's the the Giroux, Couturier, Travis Konechny line that was out there for the goal, I look down my bench and go, I have three other lines. Who's rested and who can— who's rested and who's been playing the best to give me a great shift after the goal? I can't just always throw the, the same line out there because that's a way to get them a shift and they, they don't see as much ice time in a game. So— I thought it played to the detriment in this game, and it it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And again, I'm trying to remove emotion from this. It's very difficult right now, but I don't understand that decision. And it, it's not like Nate Thompson played a ton in the game. He played 10 minutes and 24 seconds. Only a couple of forwards or two forwards played less than him, Connor Bunneman and Zach McEwen. And that's pretty much because... Nate Thompson got two minutes and 18 seconds on the PK in the game. So basically, even strength, he got about eight minutes of ice time. But that kind of mistake, Nate Thompson knows better. You can't make that mistake. You can't throw a blind backhand pass to the middle in your own zone. It's too easy to read for the opposition. You don't have enough control, and it ends up in the back of your net far too often. Can't do that. And the Flyers got to start pulling on the rope. You know, everybody's got to be pulling on the rope. If you want to have success at the NHL level, Everybody's got to be there to do their job. Do their job. Not other people's jobs. You got to do your job, and other people got to do theirs. And it's just not happening right now. We talked about it after the Tampa Bay game that the Flyers' top line of Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and Travis Konechny, they had 19 shots on goal of the 33 shots in that game. 19 for the one line. Six shots were from defensemen, and, you know, sporadic shots spread around through the other forwards. Some guys are streaky, I understand that, but some guys need to elevate their their level of play. They need to elevate their compete level, and we're not seeing it, and we need to see it. You know, you see that fourth line go out there, and they actually had a couple scoring chances, but again, if we're talking about the scoring chances of the fourth line for the Flyers, that's part of the problem. Other lines, the second and third line, outside of the Couturier-Giroux-Konechny line, has got to put more pressure on the opposition defensively. They've got to get in on their zone in the forecheck and have some sustained forechecks. It's just it's just not happening. Oscar Lindblom is clearly struggling. He was a minus three in the game. He played 13 minutes and 20 seconds. He He's not back to pre-diagnosis Oscar Lindblom. And like I said before, I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that. I don't know. But what I know is right now is that he is struggling. You look at uh, James Van Riemsdyk, 17 minutes of ice time. He was a minus two in the game. No shots on goal. James Van Riemsdyk's got to give you offense, and he's not doing that right now. So some guys need to step up uh, without question. 
All right, let's get to the Twitter rants and Twitter questions. I just put a simple solicitation on Twitter and just said after that 6-3 loss to the Hurricanes and now five straight losses, best I can think to do is take your questions slash rants about the Flyers right now, drop them here, and we'll get to them on tomorrow's Flyers Daily episode, which is this Flyers Daily episode. So let's start with Chris. I thought he had a good rant, and I think he was really the only one that put in a, a bona fide rant. A lot of people just put in some quick things. And Twitter's whatever, how many characters it is. But Chris, uh, in multiple tweets, says this. He says, here's a rant, Jason. We've seen this story play out since 2012 when the Flyers altered the course of the franchise with the Richards-Carter-Briz offseason. This team wasted the entirety of Drew's prime while having guys like Raffle and Reed be the best players besides 93 to put on his wing. Now, after a decade of drafts since taking Coots and Lawton, the only thing to show for homegrown talent at center is our first sniff of Morgan Frost, who I won't be surprised if they send back down when Broussard returns, because why not? They haven't had a season in the last decade where they managed to roster a good defense, balance offense, and good goaltending outside of 1920, and that got derailed by a global pandemic. They've been bitten by the injury bug and bad luck, sure, but this fan base is tired of excuses, tired of waiting. And look, I understand, Chris, your frustration, because I share it, and you know, injuries are a part of pro sports. They are a part of it. Every team has injuries. Sometimes, some seasons, you have it worse than others. You have not only the injuries be more severe, but the people that are injured be more consequential. And But it's not an excuse. Injuries are part of the equation, and you have to overcome it. There's ebbs and flows in a season, sure, but you can't let injuries derail your entire season because if, if one or two injuries does that, then maybe it was too fragile to begin with. And maybe that's the point. Tim Tobin tweets in and he says, they're getting nothing from 23 and 25. So that's Lindblom and James Van Riemsdyk. He said, JVR looks lo- like he lost a step. Kind of reminds me of when Wayne Simmons tailed off. It really shows with JVR. And I don't want to say he doesn't try, but he looks late, slow to every puck. Now, in the beginning of the season, this is kind of odd. Because in the beginning of the season, I got several messages from people, both on Twitter, actually, and on text message, that JVR looked faster. And I said, I can assure you, he is not. Because you just don't get faster once you're north of 30 years old. But he looked faster. Now, why is that? Well, when Ryan Ellis is on this team, he has a great ability, Ryan Ellis, to stretch the ice, that first pass out of the zone. And the Flyers looked much faster. They played so much faster. They could attack through the neutral zone with that stretch pass to thin out a defense and not get all clogged up in the neutral zone and then attack into the offensive zone uh, with speed and be able to obtain the zone set up and get in on the forecheck. Without that, it's been an absolute struggle. So that that's part and parcel with not having Ryan Ellis, but James right now needs to find another gear to his game. There's just no way to put it. He's got two goals on the season, uh, one even strength. Bahama Mama Enthusiast says, uh, AV has no control, dash. Players aren't playing to an NHL caliber. Hart is becoming spotty. Players like Yandel aren't NHL caliber anymore. And no one takes initiative to bring energy via hits, scrums, anything. All the same issues this core has had for years now. So let's take it piece by piece. I don't know if AV has control or not. I, I'm not in the room, so that's something you can surmise that, Bahama Mama Enthusiast. That's your uh, call. I don't, I don't have an opinion on that because I don't know. 
but as far as players aren't playing to an NHL caliber, some are not doing their job. I don't know about an NHL caliber, but I know some guys aren't getting the job done for what they are tasked to get done. As far as Hart is becoming spotty, there was a couple goals in the Carolina game that I didn't love, but overall, he's been great. And the environment broke down in several on several occasions against Carolina. The team's not scoring. That carries a tremendous amount of stress and strain on a goalie that you have to be perfect, and that's hard to do in the NHL. Um, as far as no one takes initiative to bring energy via hits, scrums, or anything, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with that. They're not the biggest team. They're not the roughest team. They're not the, the grittiest team or the most physical team. But you can't watch and not think that Zach McEwen doesn't do that <laughs> or that Rasmus Ristolainen is not a physical presence. Zach McEwen tried to take on everybody on one shift. He got an extra penalty for it. But there needs to be more of that. I agree. But maybe just the, the word, the terminology used, no one takes initiative. I think there are some guys taking initiative, but again, to have success at the NHL level, everybody needs to take the initiative. It can't be one or two guys. It needs to be everyone because you can't win in that league unless everyone does the job. Isaiah from ONB Puck uh, tweets in and says, allowing for the context of injuries and lack of time for building team cohesion, the product on the ice still doesn't project to cup contention. After trying to salvage the positive aspects of Ron Hextall's tenure and getting the current results, does Chuck Fletcher have to consider a rebuild? I mean, I guess anything is under the realm of possibility, but you know, rebuild in the NHL is far different than it is in other sports. I know a lot of people go, you should just tank and get draft picks. And you know, that in the NHL it doesn't work like that. You can have the best player in the world. You can have it two of the best players in the world and not have playoff success like the Edmonton Oilers. Now, I'm not saying it's not great to have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl at Edmonton. It is. And eventually, maybe they can build it into a winner. But I, I don't know if if that's even the right conversation to have right now as we're sitting here knocking on the door basically of December. I don't know what, what the plan is. I know that the power play, and a lot of people tweeted in, obviously, about the coaching staff. Are they on the hot seat? Is AV on the hot seat? Is Michelle Terrian on the hot seat? And when you look at the power play, and I mean, I was saying to Brian Smith on the postgame show on the radio that, you know, two weeks ago, I thought the power play had hit rock bottom, but it's gotten worse. They found that that rock bottom had a basement and the power play looks even worse. So I don't know what is missing with this power play. I mean, the ability to get in the zone and get set up is, it seems like such a chore. I've seen them on several power plays just continually dump the puck in. Power play is all about possession. Why dump it? You should be able to carry it in, find a lane, move it off to a winger after the slingshot, and find a lane into the zone, get it deep, and set it up. But they continue to dump it in, which is a philosophy I, I, I'm not sure is the best one. So as far as... You know, for all the people that tweeted in about coaching change and all that, I, I don't know that, you know, a coaching change is imminent or anything like that's happening because they haven't played with the full squad of players. And they are in the midst of the toughest 10-game stretch that any NHL team will face this season. Maybe some people didn't see this, but I'll repeat it here on the podcast because I put it on Twitter uh, two nights ago. 
that, you know, the Flyers schedule, they've had the toughest schedule in the NHL, strength of schedule against opponents already this season. Now, maybe some people don't want to hear this right now, but it is a fact. And this is, you know, a weird time to bring this up again because they just lost a game. But uh, for the people that didn't see it on social media or maybe you aren't on social media. But a couple of years ago in the 1920 season, you know, American Thanksgiving is one of those markers in an NHL season that if you're in a playoff position, you're likely going to be a playoff team. And if you're not, you probably won't be. So since the 2013-14 season through the 2017-18 season, 62 of 80 teams that were in a playoff spot at Thanksgiving made the playoffs. That's 77.5%. It's pretty pronounced that that is usually a pretty pretty safe harbinger that you're going to be in or you're not going to be in. Now, it's not a sentence that you are. If you're not, you're not going to make the playoffs or if you're in the playoffs that you're guaranteed. So back in the 1920 season, the Navy's first year at Thanksgiving, the Flyers that year had played 18 games. This year it was 16. Uh, but in that season, they played 18 games. They had a record of 8, 6, and 4, and 20 points. They were 11th in the in the Eastern Conference, and they had two separate four-game losing streaks that both where they both only scored a, a total of seven goals in those four games. They eventually had another four-game skid December 31st through January 7th. And then after that, they didn't lose back-to-back games until the second round of the playoffs against the Islanders. Now, this season at Thanksgiving— the Flyers have played 16 games, and they had a record prior to the Canes game of 8, 5, and 3, and 19 points. They didn't lose back-to-back games until this well, was a four-game skid, now five-game skid. And unlike 1920, they are missing a top pair D-man in Ryan Ellis and a second-line center. And like I said, according to strength of schedule of games played, the Flyers have played the hardest schedule of anybody in the NHL. Not only that, but the 10-game 10-game schedule that they just finished against the Canes. So if you look back and you go, okay, they played Carolina, Florida, Tampa, Boston, Tampa, Calgary, Dallas, Carolina, Toronto, those 10 games, that's the hardest 10 games of any NHL team schedule this entire season across the board, that stretch. So I just put out that knowing that and knowing the strength of schedule and the injuries and you know when you're having trouble scoring and you're, you're a team that is not playing well and you have the opponents that you're playing up against and power play or special teams aren't there to bail you out. The NHL is unforgiving. You're going you're gonna to lose four straight, now five straight. But the point of it was that like in 1920, things in the NHL can change really quickly because they became a team that year that was very good. It took time. And you know, the reaction from fans this season is very doom and gloom. It was mad back then when they started out and they had those two four-game losing skids in the first 18 games and because nobody's ever satisfied with losing, and you shouldn't be. But the, the thing that makes this different and feel more doom and gloom to a lot of the fans is, I, I think, because last year happened. Because we went into last season as collective fans, observers, whatever you want to call it, analysts, wherever you look at hockey. And we saw a team that had expectations, and then last year happened, and and it was just horrific. And it's a bit of, you know, PTSD because of what happened last year. Can things turn around this year still? Absolutely. Will they? I have no idea. 
Um, let's get to another question here or comment or rant from Andy Bell. He said, do you think we're seeing the same issues rear themselves minus goaltending, even though we've turned over half the roster? If so, what's the fix? This is a great question. You know, I think in the game last night or yesterday, we saw some of those issues and defensive breakdowns, in particular on the goal, uh, on the, the fifth goal that Carolina scored, where Flyers flooded one side of the ice and Lorenz just walks right in and is able to take all the time he needs to get right to heart and eventually shelf it. There are some elements of that, but um, I mean, some of the same issues are there. Flyers got to win more board battles. They got to win more 50-50 pucks. They've got to spend more time in the offensive zone. Those are things we talked about last year, and those are things that we're seeing right now. Is it a is it a, because Ellis and Hayes aren't there? I don't know that. So as far as the fix, I mean, there's a couple of options. I think you keep Morgan Frost here no matter what. That's number one. Number two, you could you could make a trade. I know teams aren't really <clears throat> teams aren't really dealing players right now and making trades, but you know you look for a team that does is in a situation that needs change, like Vancouver. Or you look at, you know, some of those teams that, that want to make a deal. So you could do that. I mean, obviously, you can shake up the coaching staff in any in some way. But I, I don't know what's going to work. I, do, I really don't. I wish I did. All right, our next one comes from at Mr. Seaway Science. He says he's the 2021 NHL Teacher of the Year. So congrats on that. He says, how would you fix the Flyers' power play to increase scoring opportunities? You know, I'm trying to figure out how they need to attack. Because, I mean, to me, you just simplify. You got to move the puck faster. One thing I noticed in the Carolina game on the power play, when they did obtain the zone and get set up, is there's too many stationary players trying to deliver a pass to a stationary target. You got to move. You got to be moving. You're easier to cover when you're not moving. It's easy to, for Carolina or any team to get into their box and take away those cross-ice passing lanes if the target and the player delivering the puck is not moving. It has to be in motion. They have to create motion on their power play. And I saw it really pronounced in the game against Carolina. Put motion into it. Move guys around. Get on some sort of cycle, moving the puck. And when you get the puck, move it quickly. Can't grab the puck, dust it off, look at it, flip it over, check out the other side, and then try to make the pass. The quicker you make passes and make plays, that's the quicker you put the opposition to decisions and the quicker that the decisions can be wrong and make a mistake, and therefore you have a good scoring chance on a power play. All right, let's do one more in this episode, and then we'll take some carryover into Sunday. I got a ton here, and I appreciate everybody checking it out. Colin Schmitchen tweets in, and he says, Jason, thoughts on the dump and chase? They are better off attempting to carry the puck into the ozone and create rush chances than they are with puck retrieval, in my opinion. Applies to both 5-on-5 five five and, more specifically, the power play. Would also like to see a 1-2-2 format versus the 2-1-2. First of all, Colin, great tweet. Great tweet. And I totally agree with you. It's not a great t- tweet because I agree with you, but it is a great tweet because, like I said on the power play earlier, you don't want to give up possession. It's all about possession. You have, an, you have an extra man on the ice, and you can move it around and possess the puck 
So why put the puck in peril by dumping it? And as far as the 2-1-2 versus the 1-2-2, AV runs a 2-1-2 split forecheck. It's very aggressive. You have to have speed. You have to get on it. You have to be straight line, get in, be physical, take away the D-to-D option. And the third forward, F3, has got to you know, read the situation to the strong side. And if the D-man comes down the wall, then F3's got to cover that point. And D2's got to back out to the middle, all of that. And if a team is good at puck retrieval and quick passes to get back out of the zone, like Carolina, they can beat it really quick, and then they can come to the neutral zone with a lot more ease because you have two players deep. So I was talking about this with uh, Brian Smith again on the postgame show. I don't know that they have the right personnel to run the 2-1-2 right now. They did a couple of years ago. They did a great job on it. They were a great four-checking team. They're not a great four-checking team right now. now. You know, it's funny because Stagger Lee, at OC Stagger, my buddy Ed Riddy, who I grew up playing hockey with, actually tweeted a, a similar question. He said, the forwards are too slow to run a 2-1-2. We should be running a 1-2-2. The PP should have two in front, turn it into chaos in front of the net. We don't have the skill or speed to run what we run. Is it because we have coaches that always run the same system? Rit, it, you're totally right. I said it on the postgame show as well that, you know, th- they might not have the personnel to run the 2-1-2, but coaches don't change their system. That's religion. And they're not going to change it. Uh, I don't know. It's a system that's not working right now, the 2-1-2 for the Flyers. But anyway, all right, everybody, thanks for listening. Chin up today on a Saturday. Enjoy your Saturday. Flyers will be back at it tomorrow to take on the New Jersey Devils. It's in New Jersey at the Rock. Flyers will take on the Devils on Sunday. Chance to end this losing skid and please end it. Uh, put us, let's, let's end this merciless pain. Everybody, have a great Saturday. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's brand new Flyers Daily. Sitting on an angry chair.